Welcome to The Feminist Agenda, a podcast that will explore what it means to be a professional feminist, how to bring feminism into your work no matter what you do, and we'll talk about how to keep our agendas organized. The revolution needs an agenda, and who better to draw it than feminists with an intersectional lens. I'm your host, Veronica, and we are kicking off this podcast during the coronavirus pandemic. So yes, you can say that I'm being productive during this work from home period, Or you can see this as yet another example of me finding something productive to do in order to procrastinate on other projects. I thought of this podcast a few years ago, and I've been calling myself a professional feminist for over 20 years. It always gets me great responses, especially from people who look at my business card. The number one question I get about that title is how to become a professional feminist. I especially get that question from younger feminists who want to know what they should major in. And it shocks them to realize that I majored in biological sciences and have a minor in women's studies for my undergraduate degree. Then my master's is in public administration with a concentration in gender and women's studies. There is the sense that to be a professional feminist or to do feminism as a career, you must get a degree in women's studies or another identity-focused area. So being someone who has a science degree and calls herself a professional feminist, that is not expected. But I do know that my science is informed by my women's studies and my feminism. In fact, my day job in diversifying science comes directly from my mentors infusing my women's studies minor with science. Why aren't there more women in science and engineering? Why aren't there more people of color in science and engineering? These questions led to my master's degree in public administration, where I wanted to learn how organizations work or why they don't work for everyone. And I recognize that as I sit here during a pandemic, we are seeing how weak the public sector has become under the bipartisan idea of, quote, smaller government. During my master's and doctoral degree work that I didn't actually finish, I frequently butted heads with my professors about the theory of running the government as a business, as best practice. And all those questions are framed by my feminism and influenced by my feminism. So this podcast has grown out of conversations I have had with feminist leaders of organizations and institutions about how feminism influences their work. Many of those conversations came about when I was looking to transition out of my last job and trying to figure out where I would land. So thank you for joining me on this journey. My goal for the feminist agenda is to talk to feminist leaders of organizations that are not explicitly feminist. But I will talk to leaders of feminist organizations as well. If you have suggestions or consider yourself a professional feminist, please reach out to me at feministcast at gmail.com. I'm really excited to also share that I am part of a series called Feminism in the Age of COVID-19. I'll be talking about performing community organizing during the pandemic on June 26th. I hope you can join that conversation as well as the others in that series. I'll share the registration link in the show notes. I'll also share it on my social media.
My first guest is my friend, Elisa Camahort-Page, whom I met when she was the co-founder of BlogHer. She now hosts her own podcast, The Op-Ed Page, and is co-author of Roadmap for Revolutionaries, Resistance, Activism, and Advocacy for All, which I highly recommend in this moment for people who are new to political and or, or community organizing, especially if you are feeling overwhelmed with all the work that we need to do in our world. Hey, Elisa, welcome to the Feminist Agenda. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, hi, my name is Elisa Camahort Page. I'm probably best known as the co-founder of Blog Her, which I did for more years than I've done anything in my life. Uh, and then I wrote a book called Roadmap for Revolutionaries, Activis uh, Resistance, Activism, and Advocacy for All. I co-wrote a book. Uh, and now I am speaking and consulting and writing and and also partly just trying to figure out what I want to do next to have the most impact. So I'm doing a lot of different things to sort of figure that out. Awesome. Do you identify as a feminist? And do you have, a, do you have your own definition for feminism? So I 100% uh, self-define as a feminist. Uh, to me, being a feminist simply means that you believe not only that women and men and non-binary people are equal, should have equal rights, should have equal opportunity, but to me, um, all the social justice movements are connected, and I feel like we can, none of, what's that, it's a famous phrase, which I'm blanking on who said it, none of us can be free till all of us are free. Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, being a feminist means I am also um, a, for racial justice, for LGBTQ justice, for disability justice. Uh, I even take it so far as I'm, I'm a vegan and I'm for animal justice. So to me, if you can stop othering women, you can stop othering anybody, you know, so it's all connected. How do you do your feminism in your work and whatever work you're doing? So dating back by now to be 17 or 18 years, I decided I had one persona, personal and professional, and I wasn't going to keep trying to be two different people. Before that time, I was in traditional high tech in Silicon Valley, and I very much was one of those only woman in the room in a technology company who tried to kind of act like one of the guys. And um, a lot of that wasn't hard for me. I like watching sports. I like cursing. I like, you know, I like certain stuff, but I got very, it got very tedious, the kind of chest beating hierarchical uh, approach that happens in a room, often happens, I shall say, in a room full of only men. And having one woman there isn't enough to mitigate it. And so you tend to adapt yourself. So after I left that career uh, and started really focusing my work online, um, I decided I was only going to be one person. So at the same time that I was consulting with companies about social media and blogging, I was writing a blog for the Santa Clara County Democratic Party during the 2004. This is all of me. And people used to say, aren't you worried you'll lose clients who don't agree with you politically? Because we were already pretty partisan and pretty polarized at that time, if you remember, during the George W. Bush years. Um, and I said, you know, if someone doesn't want to work with me on marketing and social media because they don't agree with my political views, um, then we're probably better off not working together. And I'd rather think about 
I'd rather not think about half the people I might be alienating and think about the half of the people I might be inspiring and galvanizing and vibing with. And so that's how I've always done my feminism, which is an integral part of everything I do, including my professional life. I will say that when we started Blog Her and we wanted it to be an omnipartisan organization and of between Lisa Stone, Joy Desjardins and me, I was the only one who was very politically vocal. I did need to learn to communicate a different way to foster cross-party conversation. If I was going to be inviting conservative speakers to speak at the conference or conservative writers to write, I had to not be online calling them you know, names or anything, you know, I had, to, I had to learn a different way to communicate, which I've tried to sustain, although the current situation makes it very hard. And I've kind of gone back to being a little bit more vociferous and strongly worded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think the first thing is to know yourself. And part of that, and one of the pieces of advice I kind of came out of writing the book for me was to triage and decide what are your what are the things you feel so passionately about that they are worthy of being putting on an equal footing with anything else you want to do in life? So I care about 22 different, I wake up every morning, I'm upset about 22 different things, but I cannot effectively advocate or be an activist for 22 different issues. I have to leave some of that to other folks to lead and I will support. And I have to decide what will I lead on. And so it's that personal, like understanding yourself, what what will you lead on? And then uh, the second step is to become incredibly well-informed, well-researched, know your stuff, and to learn how to speak about your truths without assuming other people's truths. Where most of us get into trouble with civil discourse or with, you know, um, with getting into disagreements that end up losing us opportunities is that we assume we know what other people are thinking and feeling. We assume, we, we assume to speak for them. And I can only talk about my personal, my opinion, my thoughts, my research, my data, my feelings. I'm not here to convert anyone. I'm not here. I am here to triage to what my issues are and share about them and do my best to make people well-informed. And so it's, it's ha to me, it's having this approach I think of it as a mature um, approach that you could take with you through life to help you ha talk about tough topics and get through tough situations while maintaining both your integrity and your reputation as someone who is effective and, um, and, and worth working with. Um, and I also think that the context of the room you're in, the context of the people you're talking to is important. And you, it's okay to speak one way with one group of people, one way with another, um, and that you can have integrity and still craft and, and, and form your message to the audience you're trying to talk to. And um, so that's, that's an answer that's full of you got to work on yourself. You got to learn to live in the nuance of it. You got to craft what you're doing. And it sounds like a lot of hard work, but it can become very second nature and it can become the way that you just operate in life that allows you to travel through all these circles and, and get your work done and get your work done. Yes, definitely. Um, I think that 
what I also hear in that is a little bit of, uh, you got to pace yourself. Um, (laughs) um, as you say, we can definitely wake up every morning and feel angry about 22 different things. But if we try to be angry about all those 22 things every day, we are going to burn out. We're going to wear ourselves out and we're going to get sick and break down. And then we can't do even one of those things. So true. And I think it's very hard if you're a professional feminist. Um, you know, I feel like, and now I'm going to say something that isn't very nuanced and is very strongly worded, but I feel like every day I wake up and get reminded that America hates women. Um, and I didn't think I could feel that any more deeply than I did after the 2016 election, but the 2020 election kind of punched us in the gut repeatedly with this, you know, and that's not a great feeling to walk around with. And I'm not sure it's a productive feeling for me to walk around with, but my point is only in saying that if you're a feminist, you're used, you are used to feeling continually and repeatedly disappointed. And I do take it personally because I've been in this game for a long time. And when people start to, when you start to see like the continued media bias, let's say on how they cover women versus men or what they say about women and people's attitudes about women, I'm like, they are talking about me. I may not be Hillary Clinton or I may not be Elizabeth Warren or I may not be Kamala Harris, but I relate to them as women. And, 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 and so and, and I'm sure that's true for anyone who's in a marginalized community in this country. You're going to wake up every day and, and be amazed that you can still be disappointed. Um, so all that being said, that stupid cliche about your oxygen mask and put it on first and stuff. Yeah. If you run yourself to the ground, are you helping other people? You know, sometimes you have to just, I spent this weekend and I didn't do a damn productive thing. I... I watched a lot of Netflix and I, I didn't, I just needed to not try to read. I, I'm having trouble right now reading serious nonfiction, for example, because these times are stranger than fiction and just anyway. So, you know, sometimes you got to just give yourself a little grace. How do you organize your life? All right. So here's some of the tools I use. I'm on a Mac I use just the native male client and they have um, a series of flags, colored flags you can attach to email. So a lot of my organization is an email, whether it's an email I sent, I'm waiting for an answer on or an email that I got that I'm waiting to act on. I, I have different colored flags. I organize it. I'm a filer, not a piler. So I have folders and I sort of keep things organized that way. And I use the search function to find them. And then I use the flag function to know all the things I'm waiting for answers on and all the things I'm supposed to act on. So a lot of it happens right in email because a lot of my work happens right in email. I use Trello as a project management tool. I have all these different boards that track things from need to do them, am doing them, it got done. And, um, and then I have one board that I've sort of made just into what's today, what's this week, what's next week. Um, so I use Trello quite a bit. I use um, I use, I've just started using Rocketbook, which is a really interesting, this is just a little notebook, but there is, um, oh, I realize people can't see it. I have like a little reporter (laughs) notebook version and I have a big like desk calendar version and Rocketbooks are, uh, you can wipe them clean and reuse them over and over and you can take pictures of them before you wipe them clean and then route them to Evernote, to Trello, to... Mac uh, to mail, whatever it is. 
Um, so I'm sort of, I like, I do like to have things writing, writing some stuff down. I do like to take notes sometimes written. It, it, it sticks in your memory differently when you write it physically. Yeah. So, um, I've been doing that. So I stopped using so much paper and also because, um, paper notebooks are hard to find something later. Like, you know, unless you keep it religiously chronological and can remember about when you did something. Um, and then I'm, you know, I use, I put tasks into calendar. I also block out times in calendar. So I block out a time in the morning to reply to emails or send pings on things I'm waiting for. I block out a time at the end of the day to plan for the next day. And I put those in my calendar. I put the times I'm going to like walk or do yoga in my calendar. I put key tasks in my calendar. Um, so sometimes I have duplication because I have a to-do list, you know, I have it in my calendar. I might have an email with a flag, but I find that the, um, the duplication is helpful to me. So, uh, that's a big, that's a big part. And I'm a big believer in when an email comes in, I try to file it, reply to it, delete it, forward it right as soon as possible so that my inbox often reflects a to-do list as well. Like, I'm trying not to, ha I, I, I felt oppressed by having 10,000 emails in an inbox. Like that felt oppressive to me. So that's why I started taking this approach about let me, let me get it out. So my inbox usually has about fewer than 20 in it. Wow. Doesn't mean the email, they're all somewhere. Those emails are right. somewhere else, but the inbox is like critical. You should be working on this sometime in the next day or two. That's what I try to keep it to. So those Excellent. are a lot of different things I do. That is excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Oh, you're welcome, Veronica. It was so great to talk to you. Thanks again to Elisa for joining me on the first episode of The Feminist Agenda. Please take a look at the amazing lineup for feminism in the age of COVID-19. Reminder that I will be in conversation on June 26th. You can find The Feminist Agenda on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FeministaCast. That is Feminist A-Cast. I'm going to leave you with a preview of our next episode when I talk to singer-songwriter Summer Dennis. She hails from Washington, D.C. and is part of the Soul Funk Project, Summer Dennis and Rhymes. I chatted with her about their new album, Second Summer. I'm going to end with just a taste of their song, The Party, because it is perfect for playing during the pandemic as it reminds us that we are the party and to be thankful for each day we have. Until next time, keep feminism on your agenda and wear your mask. <laughs>